Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Coastal Community Church. Everyone watching online, thanks for tuning in. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff who gets the privilege of uh, bringing a message to you during our At The Movies series. Um, I actually get to wrap up our series. We are in part six. Um, so it is the last week where we uh, basically use a movie as a hook uh, to speak on the biblical truths found in God's Word. And this year, you probably heard it, but we have kind of like a an unpublished tagline for the movies that we chose, and it's movies with a message, right? So uh, Pastor Chris kicked us off. We looked at Jesus Revolution and, uh, and then Savior Private Ryan. We did the animated movie Up. Uh, Pastor Chris Jones did Greyhound, and then Pastor Scott uh, did Hidden Figures. All great uh, inspirational movies uh, with themes that could kind of be used to point back, uh, again, towards Scripture and the truths found there. And uh, today is really no different uh, but honestly, um, I think I cheated probably just a little bit or, or maybe as a group we kind of cracked the code for using movies in this series um, because while everyone else kind of had to uh, extract the theme and, and tie it back into Scripture, uh, we, we don't have to go that deep today, right? So you may have already seen this movie we just watched the trailer for, uh, but it's the movie Miracle, right? It documents uh, the true story of Herb Brooks. Uh, the player-turned-coach who led the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team to victory over the seemingly invincible Soviet squad. Uh, dramatizes what many call the greatest moment in sports history, the greatest underdog story where, you know, a group of 20-something-year-old kids who had never played together uh, came together as a team and defeated not just the greatest hockey team of that time, but also won uh, the gold medal in those 1980 Olympic Games. And, um, you know, while there are some great, you know, themes throughout this movie, again, there's, you know, the whole underdog story, teamwork, perseverance, overcoming odds, you know, all those great things, um, I thought we'd kind of divert just a little bit and, and just go the obvious route, right? The, the name of the movie is Miracle. Miracle. And perhaps the most famous quote uh, from the calling of the original game and even the movie itself um, was, you know, the game between the U.S. and the Soviets. And as the, uh, the seconds are winding away, legendary broadcaster Al Michael, you know, shouts out, do you believe in miracles? I was at the end of the trailer there. Do you believe in miracles? So that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, miracles, we see them all throughout the Bible. Countless stories of, of Jesus performing miracles, miracles happen, happening to uh, like seemingly ordinary people or, or those seemingly ordinary people being used by God. Uh, to, you know, to do those miracles, right? So we see all of these, all of these things happen in the Bible, and then we look around today and we say what? You know, where are these miracles? Where are they now? Right, some of you have no doubt seen a miracle happen in your life or uh, in the lives of those around you. You've seen illness disappear, cancer disappear. You've seen uh, addiction defeated or lost friends and family members found. Um, you know, you've seen something happen that could only happen because God was working in the lives of those people. Um, but I think oftentimes, you know, a lot of us are just out here basically looking for water to be turned into wine. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I haven't been privy to that one yet. Right? So for many people, you know, even though, you know, they truly believe in God and they, they have a relationship with him, you know, you find yourself simply waiting on that miracle. And so that's what we're going to kind of dive into today. All right? So uh, we're actually going to start at the beginning. 
right? The very beginning, God creates the world. And when he does that, he creates order, right? Day one, he creates light, day and night. Day two, uh, he creates basically the atmosphere, right? He separates the, the two kingdoms, the sky. Day three, he creates uh, land and plants. Day four, he fills the sky. You know, he creates the, uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, Day five begins the living things, right? He creates animals to fill the water in the sky. And then day six, animals to fill the land, right? So he creates all of this. And with this creation, natural rules follow along with it, right? He creates rules that this world is governed by. And I'm talking about rules like, like gravity, right? The, the rules of thermodynamics, planets rotation, all this stuff, natural laws that came about alongside God's creation, And so when we see a miracle, basically what we're seeing is God choosing to operate outside of the natural order that he himself created. uh, There's a great quote by uh, Tim Keller. It says, we modern people think of miracles as the suspension of natural order, but Jesus meant for them to be the restoration of the natural order. Right before sin entered the world, you know, all the bad things that we create on a da- uh, that we experience on a daily basis before all these things entered the world di- uh, disease sickness you know suffering before all of this the supernatural was the norm right when god created this perfect world the fact that it was perfect was because it was supernatural it was it was god created and god ordained so the supernatural was the normal but by the time jesus gets on the scene that was obviously far from the case all right, so this morning we're going to dive deeper into the idea of miracles and specifically waiting on miracles in our own life by looking at one of Jesus' last miracles in the Bible. Uh, many of you probably know it. It's the story of Lazarus. And it's found in John chapter 11. Um, so if you have your Bible or the app, you can pull it up there. It should be in your uh, notes and on the screen. Um, but we're actually going to kind of run through most of the story here. That's throughout John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Uh, This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. It says, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. First off. Don't you love the like passive aggressive tone that Mary has right off the bat? Right? She says, Jesus, the one you love, right? The one you love is sick. We do that all the time at my house. Um, I don't know if you do as well. Right? But like if I'm at home with my two girls and they're acting like just straight hooligans, tearing the house apart, writing on the walls. They have a weird thing about taking every cup and using it as anything but a cup. I don't know if that happens to you as well. Whatever it is, you know, my wife gets home and first thing I'm going to say is, let me tell you what your daughters did today, right? Almost daily in our house, we find ourselves sitting there on the couch watching my second born who's not living unless she's risking her life on a daily basis, right? She'll be standing on the edge of the couch, kind of just one leg, just smiling at us. It's like, that's your daughter right there, right? Basically, you go and get her. But basically, you know, that's kind of how Martha comes at Jesus right off the bat. She says, the one you love is sick, now, a little more context for our story. It says Lazarus is from Bethany. Bethany is a small village uh, a couple miles east of Jerusalem. And, and Lazarus is just a normal dude, right? He doesn't hold any special privilege. 
He has no high-ranking title or anything like that. Nothing special, yet we see in the Bible that he is one of Jesus' favorite people. We see that Jesus actually shared a meal with him and his sisters, Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha multiple times uh, throughout the Bible. So we keep going in verse 5. It says, Now Jesus loved Mary, or Martha, and her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Right, Jesus loved them so much that he didn't go to them for an extra two days. That's interesting, right? right? We see the text here phrased as though, you know, what Jesus did waiting two more days before he left where he was to go to them. We see it phrased as though that was almost the natural response to hearing that Lazarus was sick. You know, so often many people are, you know, they're waiting on the miracle and they're believing that God is going to provide that miracle. You know, and as much as it stinks, you know, what happens is we end up getting, you know, a firsthand lesson on how to and even the power in waiting. It happens so many times in the Bible, even the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament. You know, people getting a promise from God, people, you know, being told that something was going to happen, right? Things that are important, that are vital, that are needed, and then nothing, right? And they're just, they're just stuck waiting. Uh, I've been pretty lucky in my own life. I uh, haven't experienced some of the in, you know, in, intense suffering and, and trauma that I'm sure a lot of you have. Right? Those times when you're, you're in what seems like the worst possible scenario and you're waiting for resolution and it's, it's just not coming. I, but I, um, I have, did get a very small taste of that, I guess somewhat recently in my life. Uh, for those that don't know me too well, I referenced them earlier, but I have two daughters. Uh, my oldest daughter turns five in November uh, my younger daughter, Emmy, will be two in September. Uh, her birthday is actually September 11th. And with the birth of my first daughter, you know, coming from a, a complete lack of knowledge on the situation, right, being a first-time parent, it seemed to go pretty well, right, pretty textbook. My wife was induced, and we had kind of a decently long waiting period uh, for her to get to the point where she was ready to deliver. But once she got to that point, uh, my daughter came out in a matter of minutes, and, you know, she and my wife were healthy, and, and we were good to go. With my second daughter, it started pretty much the same way. Uh, my wife was induced. We waited around for a good little while as she started to progress. And then she got to the point where she decided that she was ready for an epidural. Uh, so the doctor came in and uh, he began to start the whole procedure. My, my memory gets a little fuzzy on this part. But basically they had to like stick her a couple of times to, to find the right spot. And, um, you know, something kind of didn't happen quite right initially. And it took, you know, a little longer than I think everybody expected it to. Um, but eventually, the doctor kind of just said, okay, you're all good. You know, and for the medical professionals, I apologize if I'm butchering the process or the facts here. But they told us, as, you know, kind of the doctor told us as he's walking out the door, he said in some rare instances, you know, the epidural might not take and could actually have some negative side effects. Uh, one of them being your, your blood pressure crashes. He said, if that happens, just call the nurse. It's kind of like one of those side effects that just has to be read, you know, if, you know, if this happens, just let us know. And so they, uh, they turn the lights off, tell Gracie to get some sleep, and uh, fast forward like 20, 30 minutes, we're both kind of just sitting there dozing, uh, and Gracie tells me that uh, her head's kind of hurting, and she's starting to feel a little nauseous and dizzy, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and before I could even get out of the chair I was sitting in, I heard the monitors just start going off, right? So I look at the monitors, I, I walk over and I look at Gracie, and she's already gone, right? Fully passed out. 
her blood, blood pressure had crashed completely. And uh, I, again, it's a little fuzzy, but I remember it initially being somewhere in like, uh, like the 80 or 40 range, uh, which again, I'm not a doctor, but I think like 90, 60 is as low as you might wanna go. So all I can do is like ring the nurse button and I run out into the hallway looking for someone, but uh, this was uh, 2021. So, you know, still mid pandemic and the nurse shortage was extreme at the time. Uh, so there was no one in sight. I run back into the room. Gracie's still out completely. I don't know what to do. Her blood pressure is continuing to drop. I don't even kind of remember the next couple minutes, but eventually our nurse just kind of walks in all calmly, right? puts something in her IV, and she starts to come back too. And I'm sure this could have been just a completely you know, normalish procedure for a nurse in labor and delivery. Right? But for me, not knowing anything, it was one of the scariest moments ever. Right, all the horrible start, uh, thoughts start running through your head and, and there's nothing I can do. And again, this whole process probably only took like 10 minutes, right? But, but when someone you love is, is hurting like that, how does it go? Right, seconds feel like minutes, minutes feel like hours, hours feel like days, a day could feel like an eternity, right? I'm sure it was the same for Mary and Martha. If you think about it, like, uh, you know, their brother is on death's door, Right, but it's okay, they know Jesus. They had this magical healing ticket you know, in their friend Jesus. And so they send word for him and two days go by, nothing, just waiting. Right? Some of you I'm sure are in that exact spot right now. So what do you do when you're waiting on God? You know, because many times it's not like we're asking for anything crazy, right? We're not asking for anything that we think shouldn't be given. We're not looking for some greedy wish, like a new car or a big fancy house. We just have a prayer, a need to where, honestly, you can't imagine what will happen if God doesn't answer in time. And here's the real problem. Something we kind of just have to recognize is that what we do is we end up attaching how much God loves us to if and how fast he does what we want him to do. Right, does that make sense? Like we gauge the amount of his love for us Right, by what he responds to and how fast he responds to it. And for most Christians, this becomes a major source of anxiety, uh, like depression, worry, just overall troubledness. And why does this happen? It's because you know, we, we try to put God in this box. Right? It's because we can't uh, comprehend what's happening. Right? The Bible tells us that, our, that his thoughts are you know, beyond our thoughts, his ways are beyond our ways. And so what do we do with our faith when this is how our relationship with God has been formed? How do we cope during the time that we're waiting on God, waiting on that miracle? Back to our story, you know, Jesus has waited two days. In verse 11, it says, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, he's talking to his disciples here, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm gonna go there, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Well, let us go to him. I think it's kind of a little funny to me and really just reinforces this idea that, you know, we can't comprehend the, the ways and the thoughts of Jesus. Right, Jesus is telling his disciples, he's like, yeah, Lazarus has fallen asleep. We gotta go wake him up. We gotta go perform this miracle. You know, there's that one disciple, he's like, nah, Jesus, like my sister, she's a healer. She says, if you sleep when you're sick, it's a good thing, right? 
And Jesus just looks at him, has a look. He's like, no, nah, man, he, he's dead. And in that part, uh, that part in verse 15, it's like, for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe becomes super important. We're actually gonna come back to that in just a minute. All right, but the story keeps going in verse 17. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha. Basically, like a crowd is forming, right? Uh, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them and the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So we're talking about how we cope during the waiting period, right? The first step, which Martha has down pat, is just to be honest with God. How can we cope during the waiting period? We have to be honest with God. Mary, she dealt with her grief by not leaving the house, right? That may be some of you and your coping method, Right, like this thing happened to me and I, you know, I wanted this to happen. It just didn't really go my way. Nah, so I, I'm kind of just, I'm, I'm out on everything. I'm out on this Jesus thing. He's not what I thought. He doesn't love me like I thought. That was Mary. Martha made a beeline for Jesus, right? He meets him at the gate of the village. You know, Jesus came walking up. She was already just standing there waiting for him. Toes just tapping, finger, you know, uh, fingers already in the pointer position. And Jesus met them both there. Right, one at the gate, one metaphorically in the house. You see, Mary dealt with things her way. She was herself when she reacted to that situation. That was her natural disposition. Martha obviously did the same thing. She acted on her natural instinct confronting him. Right? They were honest about who they were in their interaction with Jesus. That's because they were close. Right? They had a real uh, relationship with Jesus. Martha and Mary didn't have to try to be somebody they weren't around him. Right? Because basically, how can you have a true relationship with someone that you aren't honest with? Right? You got to hear this. You know, when, when we're waiting on God, you know, it's, it's not purposeless. It's not pointless. Right? His delay isn't a denial. Right? We just have to tell God how we're doing and, and know it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to vent, to be frustrated. It's okay to ask questions and to be unsure. We see the Bible tell us that God can, he can handle all that. He can handle our questions, the conversations, the doubt. He can handle all of it. And so we have to be honest with God. And then the second thing we have to do is, it's where it gets a little tough, but even in those situations, we have to believe in who Jesus says he is. I believe in who Jesus says he is. Our story keeps going in verse 21 kind of reinforces this. Uh, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She still has faith. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Even in the face 
of the death of her brother, a death that for all reason could have been avoided if Jesus had just shown up when Martha sent for him. Right? Even in the midst of that, she still states her belief in him. That's, that's next level faith, something we should all strive for. And again, we see Jesus, you know, meet them both in their own grief. We just saw him deal with Martha at the gate, and now he deals with Mary in a completely different way, right? In verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along uh, with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He said, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then verse 35, you probably know it's the shortest verse in the Bible. It says, Jesus wept. Right, Jesus wept. God wept. The creator of all things wept. And here's the thing. Right, he wasn't weeping for Lazarus. You're not going to weep for someone that you're about to raise from the dead. He was, he was weeping for Mary and Martha and the crowd of people that were there for Lazarus. Right? Because the God of all things is a God who chooses to enter into our suffering with us. Right? He chooses to cry alongside us. Right? There's a reason that he may not remove the, the struggle and, and the hurt and the pain that you're going through right now. But you see, he chooses to, again, come along, alongside you right in it. Right? He kind of just scooches down into the mud and the muck of your life. Right? Because the longer you're in it, the longer he's in it. He's a co-sufferer in what you have going on. And I, uh, I know it may not feel like it, but the truth is that you've never hurt alone. You've never cried alone. You've never dealt with pain on your own. Right? He's been there with you. He is the loving, compassionate God. That's just, that's just who he is. And so even if you don't have that personal relationship with him yet, like you're not fully in the, the personal, honest relationship with him, just start out by trying to believe who he says he is. He's the loving God that is always with you. And you know what else he is? He's the God that works miracles into your life every single day. And what he did before, he can do again. Way to cope with, uh, way to cope with waiting for a miracle, number three, is remember nothing is over until Jesus says so. Nothing is over until Jesus says so. Verses 38 in our story, uh, it says Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been in there for four days. She said it's going to smell bad. Right? There's going to be a bad odor. Like talk about us getting bogged down in the natural order that we understand. So verse 29 said he had been in there for four days. And actually at this time in history, we know that uh, uh, Jews believe that the soul hovered over the body for three days after someone died before it kind of passed on. So the, the soul hovers there for three days. Jesus showed up on day four. Right, this may be tough to come to grips with, but sometimes Jesus is just going to wait until there's only one possible explanation. Right, for all the people waiting on a miracle today, you know, he's in it with you and, and he has a, person, uh, a purpose for it. Because right? the gist of it is sometimes, 
Sometimes God is going to wait until all of your expectations have passed, right? Until your timeline for how things should go is long gone. He's gonna wait until your expectations, right? Again, of, of, of how things should progress are no longer an option. And his plan is the only possible explanation for why things have happened. And why is that? Because, you know, this miracle that God does, it is, it, the purpose is to display the glory. And that's not coming from some egotistical, you know, character trait that God has saying, oh, look at me. It's so that people will believe. Right? So that people will believe in him and experience the true abundant life that he offers. Remember earlier I said we'd come back to uh, verse 15 real quick that it'd become really important, right? Talking about uh, not being there when Lazarus passed away. Jesus says to his disciples, he said, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Right? He said, I'm glad for your sake I was not there so that you may believe. He's saying, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that I could in fact perform this miracle, raise him back from the dead, and for all you people that need to see it, make it possible for you to believe in me. And then one little side note, you notice, you know, Jesus used Lazarus to perform this miracle. He used Mary and Martha's grief as part of his miracle. But he didn't leave them hanging. We finish up in verse 40. It says, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. He's going to wait until your expectations have passed so that his glory is the only explanation so that others will believe and experience the miracles for themselves. Right, right, we know like struggling with, struggling with this, struggling with uh, fear and anxiety and worry, it's all normal, right? It's gonna happen no matter what. And I'm sure you've heard this before, but you know, just because you're a Christian, just because you believe in God does not mean that you're all of a sudden exempt from the pain of this world. Right? In fact, because you're a Christian, you know, I feel like there might even be like a little bit of a prerequisite of pain. And yeah, that's kind of unfortunate. But remember back to this cycle of miracle, right? Sometimes we're allowed to suffer so that he is made known so that others will believe so that they can experience the miracles that can only be accomplished by God. Basically, you experience suffering so that through it, others may experience salvation. I know that sounds really good, but for a lot of people here, like, yeah, you know, that's, that's awesome for that person. Right? But listen, I did pray. I was honest with God. I even believe in him and who he says he is. But my cancer's still there. I know God and I have a relationship with him, but my marriage is still over. My, my relationship with my kids is still non-existent. The hope that I'm looking for in my life, it just hasn't appeared. And all honestly, you know, there's only so much I can say uh, that's going to help you in that situation. 
I just want you to know that God is in that situation with you. And while he is enduring with you in the here and now, he's also focused on eternity. Right? He's thinking about your eternity, all of our eternities. Think about this. In our story, you know, the story of, of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Mary and Martha didn't really grasp this because, again, it's, it's, it's almost impossible for us to. You know, God's thoughts are beyond ours. His ways are beyond ours. But what they seem to struggle with in the moment is that the miracle was not about Lazarus. Right? It wasn't just about ending the suffering of Mary and Martha and their friends and bringing a friend and a brother back from the dead. Honestly, it was about you and me. Right? What I mean is, you know, this miracle, this, this bringing Lazarus back from the dead, it was just the beginning. Look at what actually follows this miracle. Right? Because of this miracle and, and people hearing about it, Jews began to flood into Jerusalem. And because of the Jews flooding in Jerusalem, the high priest at the time, Caiaphas, he says, now this isn't going to work. This man, Jesus, he's causing problems. He's got to go. And so in John 12, we see Mary anointing the feet of Jesus, symbolizing the preparation for burial. And this is followed by the scenes in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is followed by the torture of Jesus, followed by him hanging on a cross and saying the words, it is finished. Now he's saying it's over. Right? He's saying it's over because now death and sin have been defeated. And now anyone over the history of time that accepts Jesus as the son of God and his death, burial, and resurrection to pay for their sins has hope and peace. And honestly, access uh, to the power of miracles of God. It's not over till he says it's finished and he finished it that day. The battle was won. The enemy has been defeated. And no matter what we go through, no matter how long and difficult the waiting is, we've already won. Right? The ultimate miracle has already been performed on our behalf. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we just come to you this morning and, and thanks for everything that you do in our lives, God. But, um, you know, most importantly, we want to just thank you for the miracle that is your son. God, that no matter what has happened in our lives, no matter what we do, by simply accepting Jesus' death on the cross, by recognizing him as the Lord and Savior of our life, we're free. We've won. God, I know it's difficult sometimes when we're in the waiting period and it just seems like the world's, you know, just crashing around us and nothing is going right and we're waiting on some resolution or, or solution or, or, or just miracle. God, I just pray for everyone in those times that they have the strength, a strength that can, again, only come from you, that they are able to rely on you and just recognize that you are right there next to them, even sometimes when they may feel alone and, you know, like no one's there to help them. God, you are there. All they have to do is talk to you, just rely on you. And honestly, God, just help us recognize that's the only way that we're going to get through it sometimes. 
So God, I just pray for, for everyone here that is in that relationship with you, that they continue to, to remember those things each and every day. And, but God, I know there's people here this morning that, you know, they're not in that full, honest, intimate relationship with you. If that is you this morning, all you have to do is simply pray. God, I, I now realize what you did for me. I, I recognize the miracle of the cross and Jesus dying on my behalf to pay for my sins. I recognize that I can't do it on my own and that a close, intimate relationship with you is the only way that I can endure. So God, I pray for everyone here this morning, everyone watching online, that we take these truths and live them out each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.